Good morning, my kings, queens, princesses, and prince. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Reverend Chaplain Duana, and I greet you with Jesus' joy coming from God's house of salvation, where my husband, Reverend David T. Gatling Sr., is the senior pastor of this house of um, Zion. As we look at devotion for today, I want to first begin with prayer, and then we'll get right on into it. Gracious Father, we bless you. We thank you for being the King of glory. We thank you for being our Father, our Redeemer, our Shepherd, and our King. We thank you for reconciling us back to you through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are thankful to you for the Holy Spirit who is the promised advocate, who empowers us to be effective witnesses to your kingdom here on earth. We thank you for loving us and watching over us. Lord, let all that we are praise you. We will praise you as long as we live. We will sing your praises with our dying breath. Our hope is in, the, is in you, the Lord our God. You created heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You keep every promise forever. We stand amazed at how awesome you are. How amazing is the triune God. There's just not enough words. And for that we say, Amen. If you have your Bible or your your uh, media device, click, download, Swipe left, swipe right, swipe up, swipe down, um, and open up to the pages of Scripture, which is 1 Corinthians. Ooh, let's see. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19 and 20. It reads, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who comes from God and dwells inside of you? You do not own yourself. You have been purchased with a great price. So use your body to bring glory to God. I'm going to repeat it one more time. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who comes from God and dwells inside of you? You do not own yourself. You have been purchased with a great price. So use your body to bring glory to God. And that was in the voice translation. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. If I had to give this a topic, it would be called, Let's Talk About Sex. Let's Talk About Sex. As we look at views from today, the views on sex are usually taboo for everyone. I don't care 
what branch of Zion you belong to, or whatever is going on in your household, the word sex seems to be a taboo. The question is always, is sex sinful? That is something that people ponder on all the time. There is religious versus secular approaches to sexual activity. Many girls were told when when I was growing up in America's Deep South, similar to the lady ascribed in um, what I'm saying, telling females that we'll go to hell if we had sex before we were married. Now, today, they, tell, they don't say anything. They celebrate everything, including um, um, having babies outside of marriage. But for this particular devotion... I want to continue with many religious people have issues with sex, point blank. But why, some people ask, isn't sex how people are made, as some people will ask? Yeah, but doesn't every mammal have sex? I mean, is it a sin when raccoons have sex? Now, this is like the mind of a child saying this. Well, yeah, and why would one part of our bodies like our hands or our elbows be considered clean and normal while other parts like our genitals be considered dirty and shameful that is a very good question hmm why is scratching your head or massaging your calves at night okay but rubbing your penis or your clitoris not so great there is just no good answer there is no good reason. The religious stagnation of sex, the construction of our sex organs, is considered dirty. The idea that masturbation is a sin and the notion that sex is immoral. These are baseless, damaging ideas that have no foundation in nature nor in any sound ethical system. Now, this is the world speaking. We're not talking about the Bible. We're talking about the world speaking. We'll get to the word in just a minute. In secular humanist determining whether or not something is moral, morally problematic is pretty straightforward. You simply ask these questions. Well, will this cause unwanted pain, grief, or suffering? Is this, un is this unfair or unjust? Is this something that I won't want done to myself or to those I love? If the answer is no to all of the above, then whatever activity or behavior you are worrying about is not morally problematic in the eyes of secular humanism. Consider, for example, drinking and driving. The Bible, the Quran, and the Talmud, the Book of Mormon, and the Adi Grant. I think it's graph. Don't say a word about it. But as secular humanists, we don't need to consult ancient scriptures or supernatural deities, deities to know that drinking and driving is immoral. It is immoral because it greatly increases the chances of causing unwanted pain, grief, and suffering. Now let's consider sex. Here we go. If the people involved are considered are consenting adults 
and they are usually whatever safety and they're using whatever safety measures may be needed to prevent possible disease or unwanted pregnancy then whatever sexual activities they engage in are not immoral in the view of secular humanism in fact if the sex causes them pleasure relaxation excitement closeness or even bliss then it's actually a good thing natural healthy beautiful and moral not everyone however sees it that way even if no one is harmed no suffering is caused no inequality is produced no one is doing something or doing anything they wouldn't want done to themselves and the result is hopefully pleasurable religious people are much more likely to condemn sex between consenting adults for example according to a new pew survey while 80 percent of atheists and 75 percent of agnostics agree that sex between consenting adults in a committed relationship is always susceptible only 40 percent of catholics and 21 percent of evangelical protestants think that this traditional religious approach to sex can be deeply problematic it can cause needless shame guilt and self-loathing it may dwarf open conversation and needed education it can strain healthy relationships it may breed frustration disappointment and neurosis it can limit pleasure it can it has been shown to lead to unwanted pregnancies and to increase the rates of sexually transmitted diseases it can even produce sexual dysfunction and can create various manifestations of stigmatization and degeneration dignity i should say dignity of shame let's just say shame because i can't get the word out very clearly secular human humanism on the other hand sees sex as normal natural and potentially wonderful it fosters frank conversation mature communication helpful education and healthy information it invents safe methods for effective both birth control it celebrates the beauty of sex these different approaches to sex helps to explain why secular parents tend to do a much better job discussing honestly and openly about sex with their children than religious parents it also helps to explain why secular people tend to enjoy a greater variety of sexual activities than religious people it also helps to explain why highly religious states online pay for porn is higher than in more secular states it also helps explain why in highly religious society stds and unwanted pregnancies abound while in more secular societies they are low fortunately as more and more people reject religion healthier understandings 
and more humane approaches to sex will likely become more widespread and commonplace. As a result, more people may be spared unnecessary shame, guilt, and self-loathing, dysfunction, and disease. This is pretty much the way things are in the world view and not just a biased view. On the focus scripture in looking at the scripture in verse 19, Paul is confronting the Christians at the church in Corinth about sexual immorality. Apparently, some argue that since their bodies will die, now listen to me carefully, since they argue that since their bodies will die and decay, it doesn't really matter what we do with them. It's only the spirit in us that matters. They might say, likewise, they might argue that they were free to pursue whatever sexual expression they liked. Paul has rejected these false teachings. And we can go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 and 13 for reference on that. The idea that our bodies don't matter is ultimately false. A Christian's body is where the Holy Spirit lives. In a sense, Paul elevates our bodies to the level of being temples, holy places that house the, the Spirit of God. God gives his whole his spirit to every person who trusts in Christ for salvation mysteriously we carry his spirit in our bodies and we can reference Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 on that we can't go into that in discussion today but just for your own edification you can go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 now with that in mind, Paul now adds, they are not really our bodies. After all, we will write in the following verse that God purchased us. He paid for our redemption from sin with the blood of Jesus. That's in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Christ bought our way out of the curse of living under the law of Moses by becoming a curse himself. We can go to Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 for reference on that. In that sense, we came to belong to God when we came to him by faith in Jesus. That's why our bodies are not our own to do with as we please. This is why our bodies are not our own to do with as we please. In verse 20 of the focus uh, scripture, Christian people do not belong to themselves. We have been purchased by God and we are free in the sense that we have been freed from the law of sin and death. You can go to Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 for reference on that but we are not free in the sense that we are now self-owned and self-determined and we can go to first corinthians chapter 6 
verse 12 and 13 for reference on that. If we are truly in Christ, we are truly not our own. Our bodies, including our bodies, our lives, I'm sorry, our lives, including our bodies, belong to God. And this gives him the ultimate authority to tell us what to do and what not to do with our bodies. It is important to notice something about this last argument against sexual immorality. It applies only to believers. It applies only to believers. Only those in Christ have been redeemed by his blood and brought from darkness to light. We can reference that with 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. These words are not for those who remain in darkness. Paul is not commanding those outside of the church unbelievers to live according to God's standards for sexual morality. And we can reference that with 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 12. Their sin is still sin, but one cannot expect them to recognize it as such. We can reference that with 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. Rather, it is those who belong to God and not to themselves who are commanded to glorify God with their bodies. In fact, only those in Christ have an opportunity to use their bodies to bring glory to God. In fact, that is now the purpose our bodies are designed to serve. Selfishly, participating in sexual sin keeps us Christians from fulfilling our purpose. So on the real, we all must... The scripture says, So now, my beloved, obey as you have always done, not only when I am with you, but even more so when I can't be. Continue to work out your salvation with great fear and trembling, because God is energizing you so that you will desire and do what always pleases him. That's Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, 12, verses 12 and 13. With this said, Paul gives also gives a command using a strange and often misunderstood phrase. And that phrase is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This unique remark speaks of ongoing obedience for those already saved. It's crucial to note that Paul is not telling them to work for their salvation. This statement implies a need to live out, to practice, to demonstrate, and exhibit the, the salvation which believers have in Christ. The concept of fear and trembling addresses worshipful respect for God. This echoes back to the content of every knee bowing before the Lord, mentioned in verse 11. Furthermore, workout salvation is a directive 
to let the new birth in Christ translate into actions. As a part of this, believers should serve God without griping and complaining. And Paul knows that his service to God has been hard, but this is simply another form of offering. All Christians are invited to serve in the same selfless way. The word tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put it into practice and the god of peace will be with you. Selah. Have a blessed and beautiful day in the Lord. Love yourself. Love others. Forgive others. And definitely forgive yourselves.